Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you are doing well, getting on with the new year. That always can be a bit of a hard shift (laughs) for our kids after the holidays, going back to school, getting back into their routine. I know it was a little rough for us after being able to sleep in and not have any anxiety or expectations. So, you know, we all transition. But today I want to talk to you about issues that like to partner with anxiety or OCD. So these are things that tend to show up. There is a high comorbid rate for these things to hang out and be a side dish to anxiety or OCD. It could be a main dish too. And anxiety and OCD could be the side dish. But these things like to hang out and partner together. And I want to talk to you about these things, not because I want to overwhelm you. In fact, it's the opposite. I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, okay, I'm already struggling with anxiety and OCD. And now she's going to tell me I have to worry about all these other things. No, your child may have all these things already, but you might be clumping them together with anxiety or OCD. And there's a problem with that because how we handle the things I'm going to be talking about are actually different than how we handle anxiety or OCD. And so I'm going to try to make you a leaner, meaner machine. (laughs) I'm going to try to make you more effective with your child by helping you parse through what is anxiety and OCD? What are these issues? How do you address these issues a little bit differently? Even though your child has a high probability of having both, you're going to handle them differently. Okay, that makes sense. All right. And some of this you might already know, but it's good to look at it through this lens. But before I get started, I do want to let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by NoCD. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is even a right fit for you. Go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. A lot of people struggle finding a provider. And I would say, have you tried Treat My OCD? Because they have new providers all the time. So even if you've called them before, swing around, call them again, um, because things are constantly changing. Okay, let me talk to you about these issues. So first of all, this is not going to be an exhaustive list. So don't contact me and say, "Uh, Natasha, you forgot this, or you forgot that, or why didn't you mention this? It's not going to be exhaustive. I just want to highlight the big ones. There are a lot of disorders that are comorbid conditions to anxiety or OCD, including ASD, you know, autism, including ADHD and other mood related issues and disorders. But those aren't the ones I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the ones that are, and this is not like research-based, but these are the ones that almost always show up in my practice time and time again. And in fact, the reason why I'm doing this episode, I woke up this morning and I'm like, (laughs) this is going to sound like I don't really organize my podcast, but hey, you know, this is reality. I woke up this morning. I'm still, by the way, in my pajamas. They're nice pajamas. So you may not even notice they're my pajamas, but luckily you can't see me. And I was like, what should I talk about today? (laughs) That's how I do. Uh, You know, you get these podcasters who are like, their episodes and they've got like 10 episodes scheduled. 
you know, for like the next three months. That's not how I work. And I am actually a really organized person, but I like to be relevant and I like it to be something that I'm experiencing or something that I just thought about or something that someone in my audience just brought up. And a lot of the times it's something that happened in the AT parenting community, which is my membership community. And that's what this is about. So yesterday, Sunday, because I'm recording, I always record my podcast on Monday, giving you way too much of my backstory here. (laughs) So we have monthly Zoom support group calls for AT parenting community members. And so we do that for the parents, but we also do calls for the kids. And it's once a month. And so we have one for the younger kids. We have one for the teenagers. And it was really interesting this month. We had a huge group of them. And so what I found interesting is in both groups yesterday, they were talking about a lot of the things I'm going to discuss in this episode. They weren't talking about anxiety or OCD. They started to bring up these ancillary side dishes that they all seem to almost universally struggle with. You know, I would say, who else struggles with this? And more than half the screen would pop up and their hands would all raise. And so when I woke up this morning, I was thinking, what should I talk about? Because sometimes I'll tap into like, what have I been struggling with? Or what have my kids been struggling with? Or what has the AT parenting community been talking about? And I thought, this would be a good topic. I mean, I've talked about each one of these things separately, but I've never really clumped them together and said, these are the other things you might want to look for that you probably are already dealing with and you don't realize. or you do realize, but you are approaching it as anxiety or OCD. And maybe you aren't, but it's always better to know more than to know less, right? So let's get into it. Okay. So the first one I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. And then I want to talk about personality traits at the end. So the first one is what we call BFRBs. (laughs) I don't know why we have to use acronyms. I don't know why we have to get fancy, but it stands for body focused repetitive behaviors. So you may be like, what the heck is that? And how do I know my child has it? Well, let me dummy it down for you. Because I don't know why I feel like in the world, we always have to make things more complicated by giving them weird names that don't make any sense. That's just my opinion. But it's about picking and pulling. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be picking and pulling. It could be other things. I actually have uh, BFRBs around excessively cracking my bones and that's not normally considered a BFRB, but it it's done so compulsively to the point where I can actually really hurt my joints and I still have a hard time stopping that I'm putting it under that label myself. So it could be nail picking. It could be nail biting. It could be hair pulling. It can be skin picking. It could be picking other things. So that's the umbrella of BFRBs and a really good website for resources for that just before I get started because I'm not a specialist in any of the things I'm going to be talking about, is bfrb.org. So that's a good one. And then let me just check. Hold on a second. It's picking me. I always get it wrong, but it's pickingme.org, like picking, like picking, me, me.org. That's another really good website for specifically picking. So those are two really good resources. If people ask me about how to handle BFRBs, I tend to refer them to those websites. And if they're kids, like little kids, I I tend to tell people to get the book When Bad Habits Take Hold by Don Huebner. I love that book. I think that's a really, really good book. I think it's probably the only book that really addresses BFRBs for kids. So why am I talking about this? Well, first of all, anxiety and OCD tend to make kids have a higher predisposition to have a BFRB. So they go together a lot. 
Secondly, we handle them differently because the difference between a compulsion or anxiety is that it feels very pleasurable to do the BFRB. So I am definitely a picker. My oldest daughter had trichotillomania, which is, you know, pulling. And uh, my youngest daughter has picking. So we know about BFRBs at my house. And you do have to handle those in a completely different way because compulsions are behaviors that, yes, are compulsive, similar to picking or pulling or biting, like nails, not aggressively, but you don't get any satisfaction from compulsions. It's it's short-term, right? So you get a brief relief where you're like, ah, oh, I did the compulsion. OCD should be happy with me. But then I'm on this like hamster wheel where now I have to do more and more and more, and I'm a slave to the behavior. Whereas with BFRBs, it feels good. You're not doing it because someone's bossing you around. You're doing it because it feels good. It's rewarding. It's relaxing. You feel bad afterwards because you look and you go, oh my gosh, look at the damage I've done. You know, look at my eyebrows or look at my skin or look at the pillow I was picking or look at my nails. And it can also be dangerous because then you can get infections and it can, it can be very dangerous depending on how severe the issue is. It can be embarrassing. Oh my gosh, I have no hair, right? But the behavior itself is reinforced because it feels good. That is very different than anxiety and OCD where I might do things compulsively. I might ask you reassurance questions or I might wash or I might organize or I might do magical thinking where I have to tap or do uh, a behavior to rid myself of that intrusive thought for a brief moment, but it doesn't feel good. I'm not enjoying it when I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm a slave to OCD. So that's different. And we have to understand that when we're approaching BFRBs. So the way that we have to approach BFRBs is addressing and replacing the behavior. And that again is something we would never do with OCD. We wouldn't find a replacement behavior like, oh, you have to blink three times to make sure that your parents come home safely. So now how about you just tap three times with your arms? Well, no, I just gave my child a new compulsion, right? We don't do that. We want them to not do the magical thinking compulsion. But with BFRBs, we do want replacement behavior. So I might say, you know, every time you feel the urge to pick or pull, how about you go and get your fidget box and you can play with something? Or how about you block it with some band-aids? So I'm not going to go into exactly how to treat each one, but I'm going to give you a little flavor of how it's treated in a different way so that you can get started. So I do have podcast episode. I have a couple of them on BFRBs, but actually not a lot because it's not my area of expertise. I mean, there are anxiety and OCD therapists who actually do specialize in this and there's a whole therapeutic approach for BFRBs. It's just, it's not in my wheelhouse. I really just stay with anxiety and OCD. But episode 62, I interview Aniela and Ellen from Habit Aware. And so you can check out that episode. I do also have a YouTube video called, Do You Have a Child Who pulls hair or picks skin, have them watch this. And so you can go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com. And I say this all the time, but if you scroll all the way to the bottom and you put in the title that I'm telling you, it will pop up. It's easier than YouTube, but you could go to my YouTube channel and just, you know, search Natasha Daniels. You'll find my YouTube channel. And those YouTube videos are for kids and teens and young adults. Actually adults watch them too. And you can put in 
hair pulling or skin picking, and it will come up as well. So yeah, just check that out so that you have some more resources. Definitely check out the websites I said to you because those are like the best places to look. Okay. Moving on from BFRBs. The second one are ticks. So ticks and OCD and anxiety all like to hang out together. And in fact, sometimes ticks can be misdiagnosed as OCD and sometimes compulsions can be misdiagnosed as ticks. So it is important to be able to differentiate what is a tick versus OCD. And it's interesting because that was a big discussion in our support group yesterday was what's the difference between a tick and a compulsion. And they were answering it with each other, which I thought was amazing. It's just amazing to hear how educated these kids in my community are because their parents are educated. And so the kids, you can completely tell, even like the five and six-year-olds are answering my questions with the skill of a therapist. You know, they're giving each other advice that blows me away sometimes. But when it's very clear cut, because it's not always clear cut, a compulsion is something that I'm doing because I am trying to reduce the stress of my intrusive thought or feeling. So I might blink my eyes four times every time I have a bad thought and I looks like I have an eye tick. So that's in its cleanest form. That's how that can be misconstrued as an eye tick. And I've had kids come in my practice where it did look like a tick, but then I would say, you know, right before you do that, what are your, what are your thoughts, if any? And they'd say, well, I'm worried my mom's not going to come home safely. So if I bring, if I blink four times, then she'll be home safely. And so it's really just a very basic compulsion. It just looks like a tick. Other times, you know, people just have, their body is having an urge and it just happens almost automatically. And um, it would take a lot of brain power to actually try to physiologically control the tick from not happening. And that's just, that's a tick, right? And unfortunately, Tourette's, simple ticks and transient ticks and OCD really do like to hang out together. And so that is something to be aware of. And there is also something called Tourettic OCD, just to make things more complicated, where it is a, a feeling, an urge to do it, but it they kind of merge together. So I do not have any resources on ticks. I do have one podcast. No, I have one YouTube video and trying to help you differentiate between ticks and compulsions, but it's pretty much what I just said here. So no need to watch that. But there are approaches that are there to address ticks. There's uh, CBIT, which is an approach, CBIT. There's HRT, habit reversal therapy, that or training. You know, I hear it different ways. So I'm not sure which one it is, but there are therapeutic approaches that are very specific for ticks. And so if your child is having ticks, you can you look into that. And there are therapists that will work with them uh, to help reduce those. But you do want to rule in or rule out whether it's OCD or not. Because when we treat a tick like it's a compulsion, that could put a lot of pressure on a child when it isn't a compulsion. And so if they have no control over it and people are doing ERP and they're trying to get them to delay and they're trying to get them to talk about it and process it, although you shouldn't do that anyway with compulsions, but it can be frustrating for a child who has just ticks. So, and conversely, on the other side, you could be doing HRT or CBIT with a child who has ticks and it's actually a compulsion and it's getting missed. And so it doesn't matter. And that's actually more harmful if you really think about it, because HRT is, it's replacing that behavior with a new behavior 
and I'm not an HRT therapist. I'm not, I don't specialize in these things. I'm just informing you. And so if you had a child who had a tick and we're trying to teach them a replacement behavior and it's actually a compulsion, then I'm just moving one compulsion into another compulsion. So it is good to understand and investigate further. Okay, moving on from there. Just trying to fill your cup with education today. We can't talk about ticks without talking about pandas and pans. So that's my third one. Pandas and pans definitely has anxiety and OCD as components of it. And, you know, I do believe that inflammation and autoimmune issues is at the crux of a lot of OCD. I think that's just my personal opinion. I think research is just not there yet to really solidly say that there's a correlation across the board, but a lot of our kids get infections like strep infections, or they have autoimmune issues. And one of their side dishes is anxiety and OCD or just anxiety, like separation anxiety or just OCD. But there are other elements that come with pandas and pans and ticks are one of them, but not only. So a lot of times I'll see people in my online communities, someone will say, my child has OCD and they have ticks and people instantly say, then they have pandas and pans. That makes me nervous because OCD and ticks, you know, they've hung out together for a very long time. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have maybe pandas and pans. Although I do feel like inflammation plays a role in probably a lot of it, if not all of it, but it's not that you can always treat that. There's not always something that you can do more than what you're already doing to treat anxiety and OCD. Now, sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you can get into a a medical regimen with pandas and pans that really makes a difference, but sometimes you can't. So educate yourself about pandas and pans. There are other, there are other red flags with pandas and pans that are very unique to pandas and pans. And so you, you want to go to a pandas and pans specialist and really, you know, vet them out because there are a lot of people who are getting into this because it's a moneymaker. And that really hurts my heart because my son has pans. And luckily in Arizona, we have, we have a really renowned clinic that does research and is respected the CPAE clinic. And I feel very fortunate that we have that here that I can go to if I need it, but there's nothing we can do with him. You know, yeah, he has an autoimmune issue. He has Hashimoto's, but there's nothing. Medicine hasn't helped him, you know, like antibiotics and things like that. He just needs to work on it. Like he has OCD, but some of the differences you want to research. And the best way to get some information on that is the pandas network. Let me just double check. Yeah. Pandasnetwork.org is kind of the go-to. If you go to my website, I have done interviews and I've talked about it. And so you can find some of my resources there, but I'm not an expert in that. Just a mom with a kid who has it. And so there are some other things to look for. There's neurological things that they can look for. You know, math deficits tend to happen. Urinary incontinence that wasn't there before. There are other areas. Handwriting can go awry. So it's not just the anxiety and OCD. So check that out. That's important to know because a lot of times if you're missing that component and your child really needs some medical approaches that can really um, impact the anxiety and OCD. So if they are in crisis, and often this is like sudden onset, although anxiety and OCD can be sudden onset too. So we have to be very careful with that, but sudden onset. And my child is just, they woke up a completely different child night and day overnight. Um, A lot of times that needs immediate medical attention. 
And then you do have to handle the remnants of the anxiety and OCD the way that you normally would, but you're missing the medical piece. And sometimes that's what happens when you're not making progress. It's because you're missing the medical piece. Not always. I just want to have that caveat because I think just like everything else, sometimes we can swing too far to the left or right. And not everybody has pandas and pans and not everybody's going to benefit from antibiotics. It's just not, it's not true. But a lot of people who are in that sudden onset crisis mode really do benefit. And so we want to make sure that we're educated on that. So go to that website. They have like a little system, um, not system. They have a symptom indicator and it's really important. You have to be educated in these things so you know how to help your kids. Okay. Moving on from there, misophonia. (laughs) This is one that I know near and dear to my heart. Actually, it's ironic because so far we're checking off all the boxes at my house except for ticks. So um, that just shows you how prevalent a lot of these things are. So misophonia is in a, in a nutshell, it's like sound rage. A lot of people have called it sound rage, but it gets misunderstood a lot. And I feel like it gets mistreated a lot. Uh, So misophonia is actually when certain sounds hit your limbic system in a way that automatically triggers distress and rage. And so you can rationalize yourself out of misophonia and it's not all sound. So sometimes people get confused and they think, well, you know, maybe they have sensory processing disorder. Stay tuned. That's that one's next. (laughs) Or maybe they have autism or maybe they just don't like loud sounds. No, misophonia isn't about how loud a sound is. It's not about being sensitive to sounds. It's about being annoyed and and really like full of rage around very specific sounds, including things like chewing. Any mouth sound is often a trigger for someone with misophonia. There are other ones, but the mouth sounds like the chewing, you know, the lip smacking, Those are normally across the board, one of the sounds that bother people with misophonia. Other ones can include, you know, like teeth on a fork, you know, scraping it. I have misophonia. So even just saying that makes me cringe. (laughs) Water sounds sometimes like the dropping of water, tapping sounds like the clicking of a keyboard or a game controller or someone's fingers. So that is a limbic system problem. And there's not, there's not enough research on misophonia. And the treatment options are pretty slim. And I'm hoping that that will evolve over time. I do have some resources on misophonia. So just go to my website and go to the very bottom and type in misophonia. It's M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A. I don't know why. That's another example of us having to get fancy when we can't just say you know, sound rage or limbic system sound rage. Doesn't that sound better? It makes sense. Then you know what it is. But yeah, you I, you can type in misophonia and then I have uh, a couple of podcast episodes on it, some articles on it as well. Now there is some controversy about how to treat this. There are a lot of OCD therapists, not a, I don't want to say a lot, but there are many OCD therapists who are treating it with exposures. And I've started to see a, a little bit of research coming out about exposures being effective. For me and the the people I have worked with in my office, I just don't see exposures working because it is a different part of the brain and it is triggering a different reaction. It's triggering rage. And knowing how that feels in my own body, it's something that you almost can't control. You just want to 
rip the head off of the person making the noise. It doesn't matter your relationship. You feel so angry and you feel like they're doing it on purpose and you feel like they're trying to annoy you and you feel like they're so loud and they aren't. They're being them, they're being normal, but misophonia just magnifies those sounds. And once your ears hone in on that sound, it is almost impossible. It's like a heat seeking missile. It is almost impossible to unseek that. <laughs> it is it is so hard to distract yourself or to calm yourself down or to try to ignore the noise. Once you're triggered, it is downhill from there. And so a lot of the approaches with misophonia is blocking, right? Kind of go back to the BFRBs and the picking and the pulling. It's very similar. It's how do I block my ears from this trigger? How do I preventively stay away from these triggers? And we would never do that for OCD. But with misophonia, that is one of the main ways that I handle it. And so I have vibes, I have headphones. If I see someone who's about to go eat, I might go grab them. And it can be different for different people. So you might have one person in your family who eats and it doesn't bother you. And then you have another person who eats and it really does bother you. So it doesn't always make sense to those around you. And I also work with people on not trying to control other people, right? Other people don't have to leave the room or we don't have to berate them and yell at them. We have to learn that it's our problem, not theirs. Now, having said that, when my kids are actually eating with their mouth open and chomping, I will get annoyed and I will be like, chill with your mouth closed. But if I see that their mouth is closed and it's starting to irritate me anyway, I know that's a me problem. So check out my resources on misophonia. Now, the the tricky part with that is that it does pair with OCD a lot of the time and doesn't have to, but it does a lot of the time. And so OCD loves to glom on and say, hey, I want to piggyback with you. I'm going to hijack you and make you my own. It does that with a lot of these issues. And so, you know, even with pandas and pans, you might get you know, you might do the medical route and then the OCD is still there because OCD is like, I'm, I'm here. You know, I made some neural pathways and I'm feeling pretty good. And so we're going to keep riding these neural pathway highways. And so you still have to deal with the OCD. So OCD likes to glum on to a lot of what it's opportunistic. I say that a lot. And I've seen people with misophonia start to feel like certain people are contaminated, right? So you make all this noise, you trigger me, you bring all these issues. So now you're contaminated and I can't be near you. But not only can I not be near you, things you touch are are contaminated. So it can it can do it in that way. Or it might say, you know, I have to avoid certain situations. And so now I'm avoiding things that go way above and beyond misophonia. I'm trying to think of some other examples. I've seen contamination happen a lot. Things are contaminated. People are contaminated because they they make noises. And so you get a lot of emotional contamination which I have done episodes on and you can go to my website and type in emotional contamination if you want more information on that. But, and then it's like, well, what is it? Is it misophonia or is it OCD? And it's actually both, right? And you have to handle both in the way that you would for each disorder. So yeah, that's misophonia. And the last one I want to talk about, which I've already kind of given you a preview on is SPD, sensory processing disorder. Those go hand in hand too with anxiety and with OCD. And so they're different and you're going to approach those differently as well. 
So this is where it gets complicated. And I do have a podcast on sensory processing disorder. I have a lot of actually resources on that. And so you can go to my website and type that in. I have my oldest daughter had intense sensory processing disorder issues as an infant and baby and toddler. And she's learned to adapt. She's 18 now. And, you know, so those of you that are in the thick of things, I would never have thought that she would be able to eat normally or wear clothes normally. I never thought I'd see her in jeans. She had extreme eating issues where she was failure to thrive and needed a feeding therapist. And I I thought she would never be able to eat solid foods. Never. And so it's a miracle. She seems overall, you know, very normal. She has her own anxiety issues because SPD and anxiety or OCD, they kind of all like to hang out together and that's a separate issue, but she's doing great. So the problem is a lot of times SPD and just right OCD can one, get misdiagnosed. So you can think it's sensory, but it's actually just right OCD, or you can think it's just right OCD and it's actually sensory. So that's, that's kind of scary because you're going to approach those very differently. Or they can piggyback on each other, which makes it even more complicated. So a sensory processing disorder, the skin is just, well, not just the skin. I'm just thinking about an example. But your senses are more sensitive, right? And a lot of our kids are sensitive inside and out. So their body is sensitive and their feelings are sensitive. They're just sensitive kids. And we're going to handle that differently. So SPD is mainly handled in the occupational therapy world. If you've got feeding issues, it might be handled in a speech therapist world as well. Or a feeding therapist can be an OT. A feeding therapist can be a speech therapist. But it's out of our world in the mental health world. And so we might support them, but it's not handled with exposures per se. And again, just like a lot of the things I'm talking about, there's a lot of debate on how to approach these things. But sensory processing disorder is not happening because the basal basal ganglia is having a problem. You know, that's OCD. So it's it's impacting a different part of the brain. And yeah, we can have both, but we're going to handle that one differently. So with my daughter who doesn't have just right OCD, she's got her own other anxiety issues and she's got a little bit of something going on with her food stuff that I think teeters on OCD. But when it came to SPD, it was classic. She didn't like scratchy clothes. She didn't, you know, it was too tight. She didn't like tags. She didn't like lumps or bumps or anything. Food was one of her number one big issues. She was sensitive to smell. It was hard to brush her hair. It was hard to brush her teeth. It was hard to find shoes. It was hard to find socks, right? You get this if you have a child with SPD. Check off all those boxes. She also, so it's about hypersensitivity and hyposensitivity. And so you can have SPD and be hyposensitive. So she has no sense of her space, you know, as far as like where she's moving and her body. And so she was very hyperactive. She was bouncing into things. She wanted input. She wanted deep pressure. She wanted hard hugs. And that's classic SPD. And so we had to learn, I had to learn how to adapt to that. And so, you know, there was OT and PT for a little while and speech um, feeding therapy and none of the things that you would do with anxiety or OCD. And she got better. And I learned what kind of clothes did her skin want? What kind of food did her mouth want? And we did do kind of, I guess, exposure type of feeding therapy in that we're eventually like desensitizing her mouth. 
But with her skin, she was figuring out what her skin liked. So I wasn't putting scratchy wool on her and telling her to do an exposure and she'll eventually get used to it. No, even now. She came home the other day. She had gone thrift shopping and she said, Mom, check out this sweater. And the first thing she said to me is, feel it. Doesn't it feel great? (laughs) That's her. That's who she is. That's her SPD. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just her learning how to adapt and find things that work for her body. Even with food, you know, she still is, she's a a zillion times better, but she's very sensitive to like something that kind of leaves a weird sensation in her mouth. She'll say things like, I can't eat that. It makes my mouth too dry. I can't eat yogurt. It makes my mouth too dry. Something that I wouldn't really think about doesn't do that to me, but she's aware of it. And so she's adaptive. So that's different. When we have just right OCD, our kids never reach that point of feeling satiated or satisfied. It's not like if I could just wear this, these type of pants or this type of fabric, my body feels better. Or if I can just eat this certain thing, I feel better. Just right OCD, it never feels just right. And so I might wear those fuzzy pants, but then, you know, they start to feel a little bit too tight and then too loose. And then I want them even. I want the left side to match the right side. And, um, and then the next day they're great. Um, but then the next day, like they're not okay again. And I have other areas besides just my clothes that need to be just right. And so they overlap because you can have both. And a lot of people do, but there is a difference because with just right OCD, if the child does an exposure and they eventually just sit with the discomfort, they learn to get over it. And you don't often see that with SPD. If it's something that their skin is just never going to get over. So I know that's kind of muddy, you know, and I don't, you know, I can't really flush this out further because really the, the whole premise of this episode is just to bring these ideas to you, bring your awareness to you so you can do some more research yourself. But watch the overlap between SPD and just right OCD and perfectionism because those three, they like to hang out together, but they're, but they're also treated differently. Just be aware of that. Okay, the final thing I want to talk about, so we've talked about BFRBs, uh, picking and pulling, tics, pandas pans, misophonia, sensory processing disorder. I thought it would be good to end on the side dishes that like to partner with anxiety or OCD that are actually good. You know, our kids have some superpowers and there are personality attributes that tend to come with kids and people in general who have anxiety or OCD. Not always. Um, it's not like every kid or every person is going to check off these boxes, but it is good to say these are these are the positive attributes and find out which ones your child has and realize and help them realize that, you know, the anxiety or the OCD is actually helping them have that beautiful personality trait because we don't want to, we don't want them to think, you know, my brain is dumb or there's something wrong with me or I'm broken. It's not, right? We want to, um, I kind of talk about it like being a diamond in the rough. Like we want to get off all the, the grim and the grime and we want the diamond to shine underneath all that. And the positive personality traits, and I've done a YouTube video on this. Um, I think it's called the superpowers of anxiety. You can search my channel or you can go to my website. And then just recently I did a uh, YouTube video and this is very recent. So you'll see it at the top of my videos list, which it was called, I was just told I have OCD, now what? And in that video, I do talk about the superpowers of having OCD as well. And the whole point of that video is to help people feel like to normalize getting diagnosed with OCD and not even diagnosed or be just being told because sometimes we can't find a therapist 
but we know our kid has OCD. We don't want to wait around. We want them to know, hey, this is what it is and there's hope. So the video is meant to give people hope, help them understand and normalize it, and also to recognize that there are some hidden superpowers that often come with having anxiety or OCD. So some of them, I'm going to just lift some of them off. A disproportionate amount of people, I think, seem much more educated and intelligent. And so there is, you know, a high, a high level of understanding that goes with anxiety and OCD. These are kids who often are deep thinkers and deep questioners, which makes sense because that's why partly they have anxiety or OCD. Like they can see more, hear more, think more, feel more, and think out of the box. And so their mind can bring them what if scenarios, their mind can get stuck on things. But the the upside of that, not that we would choose anxiety or OCD, but the silver lining is that our kids are creative and out-of-the-box thinkers, and they can see things from different perspectives that other people can't see. A lot of anxious kids are incredibly empathetic, huge hearts. So if you have a sensitive kid, you know, they're sensitive inside and out. They're also very empathetic. They are the kids that notice when another kid is sad because no one's playing with them, or they are the kid that's worried about you know, the animal's feelings or the little bug's feelings, if they're not afraid of bugs, they're the ones that notice when you're having a hard day. They're the ones that don't want to rock the boat. Often these are very good students. It's not uncommon for parents to have come into my practice and say, my child is like an, an ideal child. Everybody says, oh my gosh, your daughter is so nice or so smart or so wonderful. We just have this one problem with OCD or with anxiety. And I'd say, yeah, Actually, almost every parent comes in here and they say that. I think parents say that because they're like, I have such an amazing kid. You know, they're really excelling at everything except for this one little thing. And I think what a lot of times parents don't realize is that one little thing is also impacting the fact that your child is so amazing at all those other things because they go together a lot of the time. Not always. Um, You might be like, nope, nope, nope. My child doesn't have any of those. And it's not always, right? But a lot of the time. Our kids are inventors or creators or out-of-the-box thinkers and super compassionate and super thoughtful. Maybe not when they're in the throes of anxiety or OCD, but they have big hearts a lot of the time and they're very in tune with people unless, you know, they have another diagnosis and then it, it gets a little muddy from there, especially if they have ASD, you know, autism or something else that's complicating things. But when you have a child with pure anxiety or OCD, they're also they're often very in tune with people and sometimes too much so i know with social anxiety i am so in tune with people that it's painful because i can tell when you don't like what i'm saying i can tell when you just rolled your eye for like a 2 second moment i see it <laughs> because i'm looking for it and so so you know is a double edged sword with all of these positive personality traits but they're good things too and they make us uh be productive. And sometimes some of the anxiety traits that come along can include, and maybe not for your kids and maybe not right now, but the need for structure or the need for order, the need for planning, the coping mechanisms that tend to come with, and it's the chicken or the egg thing. Did they come or were they there first? But those type of skills actually can make someone a lot more productive. It can make them be a better partner. It can make them be a better worker. And so We want to get rid of the anxiety and OCD components that are tearing our kids down and making them not enjoy life. But it is good to say, 
you know, there are these other attributes that are actually going to help them thrive. And I know for myself, having social anxiety and having general anxiety disorder, we'll throw that one in there too. I am a planner, but not to the point where it's, a, you know, it's deterring or holding me back. It's, it's a good thing. I, I think of, you know, all possible things. When we go traveling, I have band-aids. I have, oh, you need some antibiotic cream? I have that. You need some cortisol? I have that. <laughs> you know, oh, you need an extra bag for your wet clothes? I brought one in my backpack. Like, I'm a planner. And it may seem maybe a little neurotic, but it's not because everyone's so appreciative when they're like, oh my gosh, that was smart. It was good that you brought a plastic bag. I wouldn't have thought of, to do that. My brain automatically thinks of all the, the things that can possibly happen. Oh, your water shoes are going to get really sandy. We have a plastic bag for that. So it's not all doom and gloom. Your kids can be really, really incredibly effective, beautiful people when they grow up. We just want to help get rid of the grime so that their diamond can shine. And that's what I'm doing at my house. I hope that's what you're doing at yours. So I hope that you are finding this podcast helpful. I hope that you're finding the sparkle in everything you do. If you have a moment and you are into giving back, I love when you hit a star to rate the podcast on wherever you're consuming your podcast episodes. And if you have a few extra moments, it's really nice when people take the time to write a review and say something nice about the show and how it's helping. That actually does really help parents because who wants to waste their time listening to something that's not going to really give them some fruitful information? Do try to read one of them if I remember and if there is any to read. So I do want to thank Jay Hope 41 wrote so helpful as a parent of an anxious child. This was the best resource to stumble upon. So thankful to have found this podcast. Thank you, Natasha. Well, thank you. I'm glad you stumbled upon it and I'm glad you find it helpful. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share that with other parents as well. So maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll be talking to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.